Hey, welcome to Learning to Lead. What an honor to have you jumping on the podcast with me today. Whether you're listening on iTunes or watching on YouTube or however you found this, I just wanna say thank you for joining us on this journey of leadership. Today I wanna talk to you about this thought right here, the beauty of going beyond. The beauty of going beyond. Let's jump right into what that means as a leader. You know, there's a beauty in going beyond what you plan to do, what we had expected to do. I think about in my own life, there's been moments where um, I was coming to the end of a season and it was like God was calling me not to finish that season in that moment, but to go beyond it. So I wanna give you the definition of what beyond means. I was looking in uh, the dictionary right before this message because I've got all these notes and then all of a sudden something hits me like, oh, you should look up the definition of that. So the definition of beyond means to go further. It means to continue to the other side of, to go past what's ordinary. I love that right there. In the dictionary, it says to go past what's ordinary, to surpass what's expected. I Like, listen to that, to surpass what's expected. You know, I think about the story of when Isaac um, found Rebecca and in the Bible. Rebecca was taking care of her father's camels when all of a sudden Isaac's, uh, you know, one of Isaac's father's servants, so this, is, this would be an employee of Isaac's dad, Abraham, he was on this journey to go and find a wife for Isaac. Isn't it crazy in the Old Testament, the way they found husbands and wives? Like, you know, like Isaac's dad was like, go fetch a wife for my son. And so the employee is like, what happens if I don't find her? And Isaac's dad was like, you better find her, you know? And so like, imagine if that's what we did today. Anyways, so the, the servant of Abraham, he's out there, he's on this journey, he's hundreds of miles away from home. And he comes across this well where he sees this beautiful girl and in his mind, he's thinking, this could be the future wife for my boss's son, for Isaac. And he asks the girl at the well, Rebecca, he says, can I get a drink of water? And she says, for sure. But how about I also get drinks for all the camels that came with you? So she was not only getting drinks for her father's camels. Now, to, to uh, give a camel water back in that time, you had to get like, it was like three barrels Um, going down into the well and drawing that water up. This girl went above and beyond what was expected. She got water not only for her father's camels, but for this stranger who had brought all these camels with him. Talk about surpassing what's expected. You know, I think sometimes we settle for what we think is um, expected of us. We settle for what we think is, you know, well, this is what everyone else is doing. This is as Uh, far as everyone else went. So I'm going to stop right here um, because, you know, I just want to barely get by, but I believe God's calling us to go beyond. Psalm 105 verse four says, keep your eyes open for God. Watch for his works. Be alert for signs of his presence. What was this Psalm saying? What was David saying in this Psalm? He was saying, don't just settle for the surface level of what you see, because with God, there's always a beyond. There's always a further, there's always an invitation to go past the surface. I think about this one time, about four years ago, I was uh, on a sabbatical and my wife and I, we had planned out to be gone from the church and from Tulsa for four weeks. It was the first time we'd ever done that. And it came because I was super tired. I was on the verge of just like collapsing with so much busyness and activities in the church. 
And the mentors in my life and the mentors in Ashley's life, they told us, you guys need to take a sabbatical. And we were like, a sabbatical what? Like, what is a sabbatical? And they were like, it's an extended period of time where you just rest and you refresh yourselves and you do fun things. And you, like, it's not vacation because vacation is usually like four or five days. It's with the family. And usually you need a vacation after a vacation. Uh, But they were like, this is about you guys being replenished and coming back ready for what God has next, for the next chapter at Victory. So we decided to do it. Well, one of the things they suggested was, Paul, you need to take like three or four days and do something either by yourself or with like a close friend, like a brother, and whatever makes you come alive, go do that and journal what God speaks to you in the middle of it. So my wife was like, hey, I'm cool with that. While you go do that, I might call up one of my sister friends, you know, one of my girlfriends, and we might hang out together, go to Dallas, and you know, just, I was like, hey, it sounds good. Here's our budget. You know, we came up with a plan. But one of the things that I had always wanted to do was to go to the Grand Canyon. And so I called up a buddy of mine that we had gone to college together. He lives in Virginia Beach. And I said, hey, what do you think about coming with me to the Grand Canyon? He was like, I'm all in found a ticket, you know, to fly from Virginia Beach to Phoenix, Arizona. It was like $90 round trip. And it was amazing how cheap the tickets were. So we met in Phoenix, we got in a rental car and on the way to the Grand Canyon, I said, let's just stop wherever we want and explore Arizona on our way to Grand Canyon. So we started, you know, driving and we found these trails and we start hiking these trails before we even got to the Grand Canyon. We had found waterfalls, cliff jumping, rivers and secret, you know, creeks. And it was so amazing. It was like Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn, just adventure at every turn. So finally we get to the Grand Canyon. It's about 3.30 in the afternoon, 4 p.m. And we get, we're at the top and the people at the top, there was like tens of thousands of people. And they said, hey, this is a good place for you to look out, see the Grand Canyon, get back in your car and go, you know, explore other places. And I was like, no, I didn't come to the Grand Canyon to stop at the surface. I came here because I want to go deeper. I want to go beyond what everyone else does. And they said, well, no one goes beyond a certain point. I mean, very few people go. And that's always what they tell you is that no one goes that far. But there is a group. There is a small group that will go to the furthest point that they can go. There's always a small remnant of people that are willing to go beyond where everyone else will go. And so I said, well, can we go to the very bottom of the canyon? They said, less than 0.005% actually venture beyond the canyon. Every year, 5 million visitors come to the Grand Canyon. And out of those 5 million, less than 12,000 people will actually venture to the bottom of the canyon. You do the math. 12,000 divided by 5 million is less than 1% that actually ventures down into the bottom. And so I said, well, we're going to be one of that group. We're going to go to the bottom. And they said, well, there's no way you're going to make it down by sun, sunset. And you're going to be hiking in the dark. And I looked at my buddy, Ryan, I said, are you ready for this? And he was like, let's go. So we start jogging down the path at like 4.30 in the afternoon. Sunsets at 7.45 p.m. in the canyon. And... Uh, And they say when it gets dark, it gets scary because there's bobcats, there's mountain lions, there's rattlesnakes, you know, there's all kinds of uh, animals out there, wild, like, like crazy animals that live only in the bottom of the canyon. And so we were like hustling down there and it was so crazy. We were watching people who were walking back up and I stopped and I asked this one girl, I said, why are you going back up? She said, I just can't go any further. I said, but 
you don't even know how close you are to the bottom. You're probably halfway down. And she was like, I'd rather turn around and go back where everyone else is. And I, I can't tell you how many times I heard that from multiple people. I just want to go back to where everyone else is. I just want to go back to the surface. I want to go back to the rest of the population. I want to go where the status quo is. I want to go, I want to fit in with the rest of the popular crowd. I can't handle it down here. It's just too sparse. There's just very few people down here. And I was thinking in my mind, it's going to be harder for her to crawl back up after walking this far down at this point in the day. She might as well go beyond. But so many people are afraid to take that next step, afraid to go beyond, afraid of what might happen. And when we got to the bottom of the canyon, it was so amazing. We, we made it down by sunset. It was right around 8 p.m. So it got dark in our final 10 minutes of the walk. We ended up spending the night in these little small cabins they have at the bottom of the canyon. And the ranger came out and the ranger was crazy. The ranger was exactly what you would expect from someone. He was like, I haven't been out of the bottom of the canyon in five years. And we were like, you need to get out of the bottom of the canyon. He had this big beard. He was wild, big, crazy eyes. But he was like, I love exploring down here. And I loved listening to his thoughts because I think so often we surround ourselves with people who think just like us, who live just like us, who perceive life just like us. And it's only when you go past what's normal that you start to meet people that are different than you and that don't think exactly like you think. Um, I've made it a point as a pastor that I wanna get to know as many people that have as many different perspectives about God that are completely different than mine. Like I enjoy sitting down with someone who has a totally different view of God than me. I don't wanna be around everyone who just thinks the same, talks the same, walks the same. I think there's a beauty of going beyond what's comfortable. And I think God's calling you to not settle for where you've come, but to keep going beyond, to keep learning more, to keep exploring more. There's more to God than meets the eye. There's more to the Bible than just the surface of the scriptures. There's always hidden meanings. It's so crazy. Like right now, my Bible's open in, in, in Ezekiel. And when I first read the book of Ezekiel when I was a teenager, honestly, there was nothing in this book that really stood out to me. But when I got into college, I was reading through these pages that I had just skimmed the surface of. And I come across Ezekiel 37. And you can see right here, I've underlined it because now it's one of my favorite chapters when I read through this story that as a teenager, I had settled at the surface, but when I got into college and I started reading more, I started realizing, oh my gosh, this is a prophecy, not just for Israel. This is a prophecy for the church in America today. The valley of the dry bones is you, it's me, it's anyone who's ever lost vitality or lost that passion for God. And I started realizing there's more than meets the eye in the Bible, that, that so many people settle at the surface of the Grand Canyon when, when there's an invitation to go deeper. So I wanna just talk to you about what might be holding you back from going beyond. And I, I think there's really four or five things. So let me give you the first thing. I think the first thing that stops us from going beyond is sin. It's sin. You think about Adam and Eve, they could have stayed longer in the garden. They could have gotten to know God more. They could have discovered more beauty in the garden. But what happened? They allowed sin to get between them and God. And what does sin do? Sin leads us to shame. Sin leads us to this place of uh, uh, fear, which I think is the second thing that holds us back. When you get into sin, you get caught up in darkness, 
you give in to your fleshly desires, you start living a depraved way of life, like, God, like sin is not God's plan for your life, um, and so many people would rather go beyond the limits of what God has put in place thinking, okay, I'm gonna go beyond in my own way. I'm gonna give in to what my flesh wants. I'm gonna give in to what my eyes and my ears and my mouth and my body and my, uh, my spirit, what it wants that's contrary to God's word. Sin always keeps you longer than you wanna stay and it costs you more than you wanna pay and it robs you from being able to go deeper and beyond with God. You know, I think about not just Adam and Eve, but man, so many stories in the Bible. Cain, when he gave in to his anger um, and, and wanted his jealousy, wanted what his brother had. What did it do? It robbed him of the beauty of going beyond. It robbed him of the beauty of getting to know God in a deeper level and not living a life of comparison. Uh, the stories continue. The story of Saul. When Saul gave in to sin and the fear of man and jealousy towards David and that murderous anger that was inside him, it robbed him of the beauty of going beyond what he had done as the king of Israel. God had more exploits for Saul. God had more that he wanted to do. Moses, Moses was an incredible leader. God actually called Moses to take the Israelites into the promised land, but he never got the beauty of going beyond uh, the wilderness because he gave full vent to his anger. And anger is a sin, just like lust is a sin, pride is a sin, jealousy is a sin. When Moses got angry at the people of God and he slammed his rod and he basically was saying, God, I don't like how slow you're being. And his anger caused him to miss out on the beauty of going beyond into the promised land. So I think it's sin. Secondly, it's fear. Fear, the fear of the unknown, the fear of, well, what if it's going to be painful? Like that girl in the Grand Canyon, the fear of, I just can't take it anymore. I'm not sure if I could handle it down there. I don't know what it's gonna be like if I take another step down. What if I fall? What if I, uh, what if I can't make it out tomorrow? And fear causes us to miss out on opportunities God wants us to step into. Like I remember um, when God started calling me to speak and to preach and there was this fear of what if I fail in front of people? I'd rather just be the guy that listens to other people speak. But what was God doing? He was inviting me to go beyond my comfort zone, to go beyond what was normal for me, to go beyond what was expected of me. Like my parents, they weren't telling me you need to be a public speaker, you need to be a preacher. They were just saying, hey, we're, we're proud of you as a basketball player, football player, we're proud of you as you know Paul who uh, is funny and quirky and plays guitar and piano. So there was no pressure on me to be a public speaker. There was no pressure on me to be a preacher but God was stirring in my heart. So again, I, I had to overcome the fear of failure, the fear of the unknown, the fear of what if I preach a message and nobody responds? So I think so many people stop at fear. And then I think thirdly, people don't go beyond because they live in survival mode. Survival mode. What is survival mode? It's, I don't wanna dream of beyond, I just wanna make it through today. I don't wanna dream or believe for greater, because I'm just trying to survive another day. People who've lost the hunger for beyond have, have stepped into a survival mode. They're stressed out with today so much that they have no space to dream about tomorrow. So I think God's calling us to move beyond survival mode and into a offensive posture to say, there's a promised land for me. And I wasn't born to just survive the wilderness. I was born to thrive. I wasn't born to just survive uh, another day. I was born to advance the gospel, advance the kingdom of God. 
And here we are, we've come through this pandemic, and I say we've come through it by faith because it's obviously still going on. But I wanna encourage you, don't just finish this season and go, oh man, now I'm just gonna survive the rest of my life. I just hope I survive this pandemic. I just hope I survive the economic downturn. I just hope that I survive. Don't just hope to survive. Start getting a vision to thrive. Start getting a vision to go beyond. That's the beauty. The beauty of going beyond is that you actually come alive more when you're moving beyond than just living with a survival mode. People who live with a survival mode don't live very long. No, it's true. People who live with a survival mode actually die sooner than people who live with an adventurous spirit. And I think God's calling us to live with that Joshua and Caleb spirit that says, guys, there's more. We might look like grasshoppers in their eyes, but in our eyes and our hearts, we are giants. We are mighty men of God. We are called to take Jericho. Like, get that vision inside you. Okay, fourthly, I think what holds us back from going beyond is an arrived mindset. So it's not survival, it's not fear, it's not sin, it's pride. It's pride. It's saying, well, I've been there, done that. Bought the t-shirt, I know all there is to know. So there, there's like, I've already read the Bible, there's nothing new you could teach me, Paul. Um, I've already graduated Bible college. I'm a scholar now. I'm a theologian. I'm a Pharisee, right? And that's exactly what happened. The Pharisees missed out on Jesus because they had an arrived mindset. We've arrived. We've figured it out. We know more than Mark Kresge. We know more than Paul Doherty. We know more than uh, any of our teachers in the Bible college. And it always like bums me out when I meet someone who's a know-it-all. Because I'm like, gosh, you're robbing yourself of knowledge. You're robbing yourself of Christ. You're robbing yourself of encountering God in a new, fresh way because you think you know it all. You think you've got it all figured out. I remember being in Brazil. I was on a missions trip, and we were doing a crusade, um, and thousands of people were packing out this street that we had set up a stage in. People were getting saved and healed, and we had about a six-hour window between our morning service that we had done and our evening service. And, and that afternoon, you know, they came to us and they said, you guys can go take a nap in the hotel. You could go down to the pizza shop, eat some pizza, use Wi-Fi. Just take six hours to, you know, just do nothing. And I asked the locals there, I said, well, what would you do? And they were like, I would eat pizza and get on Wi-Fi. And I was like, okay. And I asked my brother, John, who was with me, and Jason Nussbaum. Um, shout out to Jason Nussbaum. I said, what do you guys want to do? And they said, let's go explore. We're like in the middle of Brazil. We weren't in Sao Paulo. We were in um, another like northern town. I forget the name of it, but it was about eight hours north of Sao Paulo and it was in the jungle. So I was like, yeah, let's go explore. And the locals told us, they said, there's nothing to explore here. We've seen it all. We've been everywhere around this village. It's a poor village. There's dirt roads. Uh, there's nothing to explore. And we were like, well, maybe there's monkeys out there. They were like, nope, there's no monkeys. The monkeys are hours away. Well, maybe there's alligators somewhere. Nope, the alligators are hours away. Maybe there's anacondas right out there. Like, we just wanted to explore. And they're like, nope, none of that exists here. And, and then I said, well, what, is there any waterfalls? And they were like, no, there's no waterfalls here. And my brother, John, he um, went over to one of the other locals that wasn't hanging out with all the other group. And he said, um, do you know of any waterfalls? She said, I've heard a rumor. I love that. I love, like that opening line, I'm like, I'm hooked. What's the rumor? And she said, I've heard a rumor that about eight miles down the road, if you turn off down this dirt road and you go past the banana farm, I love that, go past the banana farm, 
about a mile past that banana farm, you'll come across a valley. And I've heard rumors that down in that valley, there's multiple waterfalls that lead into these pools. And John tells me this, and I'm like, we are going, we are going. And Jason Nussbaum was like, I'm all in. Let's go to the banana farm. Let's find the waterfalls. So we were so pumped. We, we go and we ask our bus driver. We said, hey, will you take us to this area? And he shakes his head. He's like, no. And we were like, why? And he's like, because there's nothing out there. I've been there. I've done that. There's nothing there. And we were like, what, you've been there before? He's like, well, I've been everywhere. I've been all over Brazil. There's no waterfalls here. And we were like, but have you been to this specific spot? He's like, I know where that spot is. There's Satanists down there. And we were like, Satanists? He's like, yeah, they do satanic rituals down there. And we were like, are you sure? And he goes, I'm, yeah, I'm positive. Don't go down there. And we said, well, what if we pay you $20 right now on top of what you're going to get paid to take us? He's like, fine, I'll take your money. Let's get in the van. So we get in the van. It's me, John, and Jason, and this bus driver. And we go driving down the road. We give him 20 bucks. And we said, you know, turn left at the banana farm. He goes down the dirt road. And he goes, I'm telling you, there's Satanists out here. They're doing satanic rituals. So we finally get to this valley. And I'm telling you, when we pulled up, it felt like a, a, just a slice of heaven. Right in this, right past this banana farm was this huge, green, lush, open valley, like something you would see out of the Bible time, Psalm 23, like just lush green grass, pool after pool after pool, natural pools made out of rock, waterfalls flowing into each pool, and the bus driver starts crying. And I was like, what is what is it? And he goes, I never knew this was here. And I said, I thought you said there were Satanists out here. He's like, I just said that to get you guys to not want to go. I was like, I knew you were lying about the Satanists. You know, but he said, I've never seen this. I've lived here my whole life and I've never seen this. And I thought I've seen it all. And I just wonder how many Christians, how many Bible college students feel like they know it all, they've seen it all, they've heard it all, and, and they're missing out on the spirit of adventure. They're missing out on the, the courage of curiosity, the beauty of going beyond. Because when you start getting that spirit inside you that God has more, you end up like the bus driver, tears of embarrassment, realizing, my goodness, I never saw this. I thought I'd seen it all, I thought I'd heard it all, and there's so much more than what I realized. So much more. So my brother and Jason and I, we jumped into those waterfalls, those pools, we played Frisbee for the next three hours, jumping out of waterfalls, catching the Frisbee. The bus driver just smiled and laughed, thinking these gringos are crazy. These white men are crazy. And then he got in the water too. <laughs> and I love that when we start to see other people living with that adventure, that beyond mindset, it makes us want to jump in as well. There's this old picture in my dad's office. When my dad died, um, I took over his office. My mom said, you know, I want you to take on your dad's office. Well, when I took it on and I started using it, there was this big old picture from, it was taken in like 19... 83 or something. Um, so it was in the early 80s, and it was a lightning bolt that had hit the ground that I'm standing on right now. And it was a lightning bolt. Someone caught the picture, lightning happening in action. It hit this side of the street, and then it also hit ORU's side of the street. So it was like one piece of lightning that was split in the middle of the sky, one piece of the lightning touching 7700 South Lewis, the other piece of the lightning touching near the praying hands at ORU. 
and they sent the picture to my dad because they knew that my dad had like this real soft spirit, soft space in his heart towards ORU and victory and the connection of the two ministries. And he kept it in his office. Well, when I came into the office, I always loved that picture. And I got to thinking, so much about that picture has changed over the last 30 years, now almost 40, 40 years actually since then. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be sad if my dad kept that picture and said, this is as good as it gets. This is what it's always going to look like. 7700 South Lewis will always be a cow pasture because that's what it was back then. And ORU will never evolve past 1983. They won't build another building. They won't add any more dorms. They won't change any of their landscape. They won't rearrange any of their university. It's, it's just, this is, we're accepting the picture. We're not going beyond this picture. If that was the case, then Tulsa would have missed out on the amazing, miraculous story of what God has done at Victory, what God's done at 7700 South Lewis. ORU would have missed out on all the new things they've added since 1983. And I just wonder if some of you are holding on to a 1983 picture of your life. You're holding on to a 1999 picture of your life. You're holding on to a 2008 picture of your marriage, a 2012 version of Christianity. You're holding on to an old picture and God's saying, it's a nice picture, but that's not the final scene. That's not the final destination. There's an invitation to go beyond. So as we close out today, I want to just give you um, four things to do with this, four things that I think God's calling us all to do with this message. Number one, in order to go beyond, we need childlike wonder. You need to get your childlike wonder back. Psalm 66, verse five, the message version says this. Take a look at God's wonders. The people brought the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Okay, that's not Psalms 65. That's, that's actually Matthew 19. So let me, let me give you Matthew 19 for a second. When the children came to Jesus, the older disciples pushed them away. But Jesus rebuked his adults and he said, let the little kids come to me. Do not stop the little kids from coming because the kingdom of heaven will only belong to people who come like a child. What does a child come like? A child comes with wonder. A child comes with no reserves, no restraints. They have no clue what all the rules are. They're just coming as they are. They don't know that you have to wear a suit and tie to go to church. They come in their flip-flops. They come without clothes on. I'm not saying that you come to church naked, but I'm just saying, like, stop living with such a legalistic, adult-sized brain when it comes to the kingdom of God and start coming more like a child. Start coming more with that wonder, that awe. When, when my kids do anything with me, it's always an exciting thing. Whether we're going to the pond, whether we're going to Brahms ice cream, whether we're going to get a popsicle or whether we're going to go uh, run around in a field somewhere. No matter what we do, they're excited about it. There's a wonder. There's an awe. There's a gratitude. That's what God wants us to live with, that we would stop being stale Christians. Number two, the beauty of going beyond requires a heart of faith. A heart of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen, is faith. Faith is not knowing what the next season looks like, but moving forward anyways. Faith is not knowing what God's going to do, but trusting him anyways. Faith is giving money 
even when you're not sure where the next money for your life is gonna come from. Faith is blessing someone even when you need to be blessed. Faith is building something by faith, not knowing if people will come to it. Like when we did our drive-in services here, I wasn't sure if people were gonna show up, but we did it by faith. We got on that roof. We had never done a church service on that roof. I wasn't sure if that roof could hold all of us. There was moments I was jumping on that roof with our band thinking we were gonna collapse through the roof. But by faith, we stood on that roof, probably too many of us all at the same time. <laughs> but we preached and people got saved and God moved. And I think it's time to stop playing it so safe. I think it's time that we start moving with a heart of faith like Esther, like Jacob, like Nehemiah, like Moses, like the disciples, like Paul in the Bible, like Ananias. I love the story of Ananias, not the guy that got you know struck by lightning, uh, but the other Ananias. There was an Ananias that laid hands on Saul, who would later become Paul. When Saul was persecuting the church, God strikes Saul off his high horse on the road to Damascus. His eyes get open, scales fall off, um, but then he's blind for three days. He's blind because he has such an encounter with Jesus. And God speaks to him, go into Damascus and you're going to find a man named Ananias. And Ananias is going to pray for you and you're gonna get your sight back and you're gonna see in a new way. And you'll no longer be called Saul, you'll be called Paul. All right, so that's Saul's faith. Saul's faith is to go to Damascus. But Ananias was a guy who had heard about Saul persecuting the church Ananias had every reason to be afraid, to not want to do anything with Saul, to not want to get even close to Saul, thinking that Saul was going to set a trap and kill him. But Ananias, by faith, moves towards this guy who's a terrorist, lays hands on him by faith, believing that God can heal, moves in compassion by faith, and God does a miracle. And because of Ananias' faith, Saul changed to Paul. Paul got his eyes. Paul went on to write half the New Testament. And we always forget about Ananias, the guy who had the faith to pray for the terrorist. So it's time for us to live with faith in every type of context. Number three, the way to move beyond is to be still. I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but being still is the key to getting the instructions to moving beyond. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. When we are still, just like I was, when I went to the Grand Canyon, I turned work off. My phone didn't even work. My phone would not even work in the Grand Canyon. It was, there was no reception there. Once, even, even when we drove to that part of Arizona, my phone stopped working before I even got to the Grand Canyon because there was no reception there. And I remember just the feeling of being completely turned off from work. Complete, like my, just everything just was pushed on pause. And I sat at the bottom of the canyon. We actually stayed there two nights. And I just sat down there on the second day because we had hiked the first day. So the second day, we didn't do much hiking. And I remember just sitting next to one of the rivers down there, just watching the river go. And just like so still, so quiet, God began to speak to me. And God began to download things to me. God began to give me vision for what was next. So when I hiked out of the canyon, my stillness led to my courage to move beyond. That stillness gave me the instruction I needed for what was next. And here's the fourth and last point, divine desire. We need to stir up hunger and thirst for God's presence. So it's not just a desire to do something adventurous, to see waterfalls, but a divine desire is to say, God, I wanna know you more. I wanna feel your presence more. I wanna be hungry for you. 
When's the last time that you went through a crisis with just God? Not with Netflix, not with a girlfriend, not with your spouse, not with your kid. Like, when's the last time you went through a crisis as a single person and you allowed yourself the, just the, the desire for God to grow? When's the last time you just called God? Like he wasn't your last call, he was your first call and your only call. There's been times where honestly, I pick up my phone and I've been in a season where there's been moments, even as a married man, there's been moments where I have thought, I shouldn't even call Ashley right now. I shouldn't call Daniel Grothy. I shouldn't call Chris Hodges. I shouldn't call Jensen Franklin. I shouldn't call Stephen Furtick. I should just call God. Because right now, none of those people, no mentor, no pastor, not even my wife, needs to be the one that fixes my soul in this moment. There's moments where you just need to stir up that soul desire to say, God, you and you alone are all that I need in this moment. I don't need the affirmation of a father in this moment. I don't need the consolation of a wife in this moment, or for some of you, a girlfriend, a boyfriend. I need your presence. I need you to heal my soul. What good is it if we keep going to man or to women to fill holes that only God can fill? So I think the beauty of going beyond is recognizing there are moments in your life where you need to stop going to people and stop going to money and stop going to food and stop going to the gym and stop going to uh, addictions or bad behavior. Like stop going to everything else and just go to God. And I love that in the Bible, when people did that, when they would draw near to God and that divine desire would just grow and they'd realize, wow, God, you're enough. You're all I need. And it's not saying that you're never gonna get married. It's not saying that you won't have moments where you're absolutely leaning on your spouse or leaning on your dad or leaning on your mom. But there are moments where you realize God is enough. Christ is enough for me. And as I end today, I wanna end with this last story. There's this story when I was down in the Grand Canyon, there was this man I met who was in his late 70s. And he was so happy. He was so smiley, so excited. And I said, um, he came into where we were all staying. There's like a small little restaurant at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And they only serve like a few small things, just some snacks and drinks and, uh, and some breakfast in the morning and something to eat at night. But this man comes in there and he goes, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. And I said, you know, there was like eight of us in there. I was like, what is it? What'd you see? And he goes, oh, I just finished my 75th time into the canyon. I said, wait, what? He said, it's my 75th time going rim to rim to rim. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, I started on the Southern Rim and I hiked 15 miles down and then hiked 14 miles back up to the northern rim because the southern rim to the northern rim is about 30 miles. So you hike down, you stay the night. If you're really crazy, you don't stay the night, you just hike up. So you hike down and then you hike up to the northern rim. And there's people who will go rim to rim back to the rim that they came from because you can't, it's like a five hour drive to get your car over there. So they'll park their car in the southern rim. They'll stay in the Grand Canyon for a week. They'll hike down hike up, hike back down, and hike back up. And he said, I just finished my 75th rim to rim to rim. That's insane. I was like, wait. So, so basically, he's hiked down into the Grand Canyon over 300 times. And I was like, 
don't you get bored with it? He said, no, every time I come down, I see something new. I experience something new. I love this. He said, I'm gonna keep doing this till the day I die and I'm not dead yet. And I just loved his passion. I loved his desire to keep going beyond. And I think that's what God wants us to live like. So I wanna invite you to pray this prayer with me right there, wherever you're watching this from. Just say this with me, say, Lord, help me to go beyond what's expected. Help me to live with divine desire. Lord, help me to wake up every morning with a passion to read my Bible, to pray, to know you more, and to follow that divine curiosity with courage to go beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.